Turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 3. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Listen, I want to stress upon you to invite people this coming Sunday that you know uh, either are not believers, are away from the Lord, or without a church home. Can you imagine um, going fishing in a lake with no fish. And one of the most difficult things, sorrowful things as a pastor, is when you get up to share the message, the gospel message, and you look out and all the people in the room are believers. So I want you to go fishing on your end, and you put the fish in this bathtub, and we, we'll, we'll share Christ this coming Sunday. Amen? Amen. Amen. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you shall not eat of the tree, of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat of it, neither touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat. And their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made aprons for themselves And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, first of all, very quickly, God knew where Adam was. He was talking to him. But Adam really didn't know where he was spiritually. So the question, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I command you that you shouldn't eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this you've done? And here's the emphasis of what I want to share with you this morning. And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. The serpent led me astray. He deluded, he seduced, and he deceived me, and I did eat. I want to speak to you this morning on a subject that's very sobering, but it should be very insightful to you that in the most perfect of settings, you can still be deceived and tricked. One of my most common prayers as a believer is, Oh God, don't let me be deceived. Don't let me be led astray. And I want to speak to you on the subject of beguiling. So would you bow your heads and pray with me and for me this morning? Lord, I just present myself to you this morning as humbly as I know how. Uh, I pray, O Lord, for strength. I pray, O Lord, for a clarity of mind and speech that would make it easy to hear me today. I pray, O Lord, that you would give me a continuity of thought. And I pray most specifically and most importantly for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that can bring to life principles from your word that will guide us into life and light. 
Let it happen today, Lord. For the glory of your Son, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. The world doesn't believe that Satan actually exists and the church acts as if he does not exist. One of his primary tactics in the, in, in, in the earth today and since the beginning of time, his first expression was deception. You, you can be beguiled. And if you know you're being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. The Bible is clear that he was a great deceiver. And when God asked Eve point blank, what did you do? And she said, the serpent beguiled me. So I want to talk about this subject of how the enemy uh, leads us in, in, in wrong pathways and into wrong destinations and how we can recognize it and what as a believer can we do. We're not to be afraid of him, but if we're in certain positions and if we have certain mindsets, that's where the devil's uh, access to us is. Number one, if you're taking notes, he beguiles us by his approach. Notice where he ap- approached them. This is the garden of God. This is the most resplendent, beautiful, glorious place on earth. And see, we often think that the devil comes to us in the lowest places. But for the believer, that's not so. See, we have to gravitate to darkness to get to the devil. But he has to gravitate to light to get to us. And we think as long as we're in the church and as long as we're praying and as long as we have quiet time, that we should not be on guard. Not afraid, but on guard. He will come into your garden where you and God commune. He will come into your place of intimacy with God. He will come with suggestions and thoughts and insights and opportunities and options to see if there's room for deception. I love it where Jesus said the devil had came and tempted him. And he said, the prince of this world has come and he's got nothing on me. Which means he's got nothing in me. There was no connectivity. Notice not only where he approached them, but how he approached them. Simply. He's not going to come with any fanfare or, you know, a demonic horde swarming. We we watch TV so much, we think that, you know, Hollywood describes how hell operates. The approach was very simple. It was indirectly direct. It was carnal. He approached her carnally with natural reasonings. The devil loves to dialogue with you in your mind. And in your heart, not only the devil, but the spirit of this world that, that fills uh, our government. It fills the governments of the world, those in media and television, those that speak to our nation. They're all inspired under the power, the Bible said, of the God of this world, the prince of this world, the enemy. Carnal reasonings. He wants you to dialogue not from a foundation of truth, but from how do you feel about this? What do you think about this? Notice when he approached them, when all was well. And notice why he approached them. He knew firsthand that sin separates from God. He knew firsthand that sin separates one from God. He was the prince cherub that covereth. There was, in my opinion, in my study of scripture, no angel like him before or since. Some theologians believe that he was like a worship director or a choir director. And his very movement was melodic. 
that God had designed him where worship came from uh, himself and he was designed as such. And he knew that when sin was found in him, when he said, I will ascend unto the heavens and be like God, I'll take the seat of God, that God cast him down and his knowledge of how God will not allow, God will not allow rebellion and sin in his presence. So he comes to you not saying, do you want to fall away from God? He comes to you, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? There is a way that seemeth right unto man and the end thereof are ways of death. That's why we must have a standard. That's why we must have a foundation. That's why our compass must, our compass must work And that's why we have to stand against this gospel of relativism that says there's no absolutes because if there are no absolutes, I won't know what is sin. And if I don't know what is sin, I won't know that I've sinned. And if I don't know that I've sinned, I won't be open to conviction. And if I'm not convicted, I won't repent. And if I don't repent, there is no grace, no forgiveness for my sins. Satan knows if he can just get you dialoguing with him, uh, that there is opportunity for deception unless you're grounded and I'll get to that in a moment. So I'm giving you a good bit of introduction, but we'll get there in just a moment. He beguiles us by his appearance. Look at how he appeared to Eve in the garden. He appeared to her in a way that she would recognize. In a way that would be un- she would be unguarded. In a way that would be familiar to her. Okay, separate from the sermon, time out. This is your pastor. Why didn't she freak out? When this snake started talking to her. And I would assume that he walked vertical before. But you have to understand, the point was not, why did the snake talk? It did not surprise her. Okay, what language did the snake speak? Well, English, of course. No, it's no English. Didn't speak Hebrew. What language did the snake speak? God. So what the, the, and see, you can get into questions and I stirred that to show you how people can get lost in the minutia of God's word and miss the spirit of it. The point was she wasn't surprised or taken back. She was okay. She was familiar. It didn't surprise her. And so the devil's not going to come in and say, I'm the devil. It'll be in a way that's familiar to you. You're at home. You know, she didn't throw the symbol of a cross up. First of all, there wasn't a cross. And secondly, they don't work. Uh, She was open to dialoguing with him. And when Satan comes to you, know this. He will take the form. He will take a form that you are familiar with, you're okay with, you're open with, and you'll be unguarded with. Listen to this verse. One of the most sobering in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 11 For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So don't be surprised if his ministers can disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. The devil approaches us like through the Oprah gospel. As an angel of light. Do good to people. That's light. It's not going to come in darkness. It's not going to come like... Go hate your fellow man. He's going to appear illuminated. We've, out, we've ascended past the generation of our grandparents. We know more. We've evolved. 
He's going to appear as light. He's going to dialogue with you about things that will sound to your natural man, not like you're going down, but that you're going up. And he said, don't be surprised if, if, that ministers can cloak themselves as light and lead you away from the simplicity that's found in Jesus Christ because the devil can deceive people into thinking he's an angel of light. Don't think there aren't false pastors out there that will sprinkle in the word of God through a message and have you coming to some false gospel, a false Christ leading to a false salvation. I'm preaching good this morning. (laughs) Just need to hear it every now and then. He beguiles us by his words. Keep your Bible open, Genesis 3.1. Primarily, not exclusively, but primarily. The devil uses his words to, questions God, to question God's word. Verse 1. Hath God really said? Oh, okay, so is the Bible really the inspired word of God? Is it without flaws? Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Because if you don't have a thus saith the Lord, the standard is up to you. And so he always brings into question, they said, so you really think after all these years, 6,000 years, uh, the book of uh, Job written, presumably the first, and after almost 6,000 years, that none of the Bible is flawed? I think the same God that can keep this world spinning on an axis at an immeasurable rate of speed and the same God that keeps it from going one degree this way or we'd burn up and one degree this way or we'd freeze, the same God that's balanced an ecosystem that we can't even explain, you think he can keep the word of God? Absolutely. Now, my natural man wants to go, well, that's ridiculous because... I'm wise and I understand that if I tell you something and you tell you something and you tell you something by the time it gets to the fifth person, it's just not even what we started with and all the natural minded people, but you're not God. And the one you're talking to isn't God. And the one they're talking to isn't God. The one that wrote it preserves it. The one that wrote it preserves it. His words were used to contradict God's meaning. You will not surely die. First of all, he's going to bring it to question. Hath God said? And he said, well, you're not going to die. He said, the Lord said we can't eat it or we're going to die. Oh, you're not going to die. Let me tell you how that plays out today. You have Christians, ministers, churches, group us all together. That'll tell you, you can live like hell. There's no pain. Listen, God's a God of love. God doesn't judge. Now, I believe in both the goodness And the severity of the Lord. The goodness and the severity of the Lord. But the Bible tells us for sins of immorality, sins, sexual sins, sins of anger, sins of covetousness, people that live in open rebellion, the Bible said, don't be deceived. For this reason does the wrath of God fall upon the children of disobedience. They say, you won't die. You won't die. Live sexually immoral before you're married. Go ahead. It won't affect your relationship. It won't affect your, psycho- your psychology. It won't affect the way you treat your future spouse. It won't, none of that will affect. Go ahead and be a drunk or sample drugs. It's, it's, listen, God understands. You're not going to die. Now, in the moment, it looked like he told the truth. Because she bit the fruit and she didn't die. But she died. 
The moment she bit the fruit, fellowship was broken between her and God and the curse of sin came upon her and the evidence that we bit the fruit. You see this white hair up here? I'm dying. Seriously. You see these wrinkles that you could put a 50 cent piece in and just hold it right there? I'm dying. That noise you make when you get up out in the morning? Oh! The young people say, was it? Just wait, baby, it's coming. You're dying. Your physical body is revealing that the sentence of death was passed upon you. The devil said, you're not going to die. You can live like you want. Watch, watch. Don't let anybody rule over you. You'll be as God, your own God. You will not die. Yes, you will. And what we do is we don't try to aspire to a, a church or Pastor John or the Assemblies of God or any standard. We fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It keeps you from stupid stuff. And the chastisement of the Lord. Oh, God would never do that. I hear people tell me, God wouldn't do that to his children. Oh, yeah, he's not scared of discipline like you are. Oh, God has delivered me from several things. Like my earthly daddy. Let me just digress a little bit. My earthly daddy had a a deliverance ministry. Come here. We'd go in the back room and I'd come out and I'd make testimony and proclamation to everyone. I'm healed. Ain't no demons. We delivered. I'm whole. I respect you, you, and you. And y'all, I ain't giving nobody no more trouble. I'm I'm healed. We do timeout now. Only timeout I had was screaming timeout because you thought you were going to die. Timeout up in here. Time. Well, Brother John, that's not in the Bible. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Chastisement, which means beating. God will jerk you up to save you. To keep you. And it's through discipline. He said, if I did not discipline you, it would be evident that you were spiritual bastards. But you are mine. And I will not let the devil come in and destroy you without stepping in front of you and correcting. His words were used to impugn God's character. God knows the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open and you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. So here's the three things. Question God's word. Did God really say? Contradict God's word. You shall not die. And then said, you know what? God really is just keeping something from you. You ever tried to explain to your 15-year-old, but you forgot that you were once 15, and this 16-year-old boy's told her he loves her, and she, that's the only guy that ever lived. And, uh, you know, Mama, you don't understand. And you go, oh, I understand in spades up in here. And Daddy's done put on ski mask. He's going to go visit. No, you don't understand. You're just trying to keep me from life. And because you're mature, you understand that her immaturity has blinded her to the reality. There's more ahead of you than this 16-year-old boy with crooked teeth. There's more ahead of you. There's more ahead of you. If I don't, he's the one. 13 years old, he's the one. Oh, don't laugh at the kids. We're just as stupid. We're 35, 36 and come off a broken marriage and some guy bring you coffee. He's the one. 
There's another man you haven't met wants to show you Paris, but you're going to settle for a cup of coffee. So while we're laughing, let's look at it. Are you ready? God's just going to keep you from it. That's why you have to go ahead and do what you want to do because God's keeping things from you. That's why we have to act now because God's keeping it from us. That's why we have to bring them to our bedroom now because God won't provide that for us. That's why we have to grab resources and money now because God's not going to take care of us. God, he, let me tell you the secret. Here's what he said. God's just keeping you from your way to be God's. What does that mean? There's a way that you can live without an authority. You get to be your own authority. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? His words are suggestive, divisive. They always appeal to the flesh and they're reasonable to our natural mind. I'll show it to you in the natural and you can apply it to the spiritual. How many of you moved out of your home before you're 20? 19 or earlier? 18 or earlier? Oh, we're getting there now. 17. Okay, we moved out. Couldn't tell us nothing. Get on your own and make a mess. Oh, make a mess. Golly. If you just looked up brain dead in the dictionary, there's a picture of me like this at 17. Just brain dead. But have to move back in your house two, three years later? If your mama is Jesus, if your mama is, uh, what's her, what's the, uh, Mother Teresa, your mama is just Mother Teresa or Robin Shop. You can take your pick, either one, the sweetest people ever live. I don't know if Robin's here, but she's the standard by which all sweetness is judged by. You move back in with your mom and if she is perfect, you can't do it. Do you know why? Because once you've led your own life, you don't want to be under the control or the dictates of another. And when you got saved, you've now come back into the father's house and he's the final authority. So the devil says, just come out this way and be your own God. Because it's hard to submit to someone that's flawed. Our parents are flawed, but God's not flawed. He's not keeping something from us. He's keeping something from us. I believe the greatest revelations in heaven are going to be not just what he forgave us of, but what he kept us from. I really do. Y'all heard me use this illustration a bunch. It's a heavy message, so I'm going to add it too. You ever went to that 20-year high school reunion? You see that person you dated and thought about, and you, get in your, you see them, and you remember how close you were, and you go, Thank you, Lord! Lord, she got a mustache. Thank you, God. That's not in the notes, by the way. So imagine how silly it is for the devil to whisper to us, God's trying to keep something from you. And us not having the wisdom to say, yeah, he's trying to keep from me regret for the next 20 years plus years. He beguiles us by our own ignorance. I'll go through these quickly. Ignorance of his evil nature. Here are just some of his names. He's the destroyer. 
He's the evil one, the father of lies, the murderer, the man of sin, the lawless one, the tempter, the wicked one. Don't be surprised that in this last hour before the return of Jesus Christ, we now have a television show, which, by the way, I've never watched. Don't even watch the trailer. But we have a television show representing Lucifer himself as, from what I've read, cool and casual Uh, because if I can, knowing that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world and the person may very well be here as well, but not elevated. If I have, if I have to acknowledge soon his reality, at least I'm going to start misperceiving it. So I won't be afraid of it. He is the destroyer. He is the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth unless of course that truth is part of the lie to follow. We're ignorant of his heavenly position. He's the ruler of this world. I thought God's the ruler of this world. God's the supreme authority, but he's giving him rule. He's giving him rule and latitude to deceive who would be deceived. To let them that are wicked be wicked still. Those that are unrighteous be unrighteous still. He is the winnowing, if you will. The instrument used to separate those that are redeemed of God from those that are of this world. We're ignorant of his brute power. The Bible says he has the capacity to deceive the nations and to deceive the world. He has the power to turn nations that have never been to Israel against Israel. Never seen them. He has the power to infect what we listen to and what we watch and to change the hearts of men through carnal reasonings. We're ignorant of his hate for us. He hates us because we, in his place, manifest the glory of God. That's why he hates us. He was the anointed cherub that covered, and his beauty was known throughout heaven. And now we have transcended his position. His position was based upon an external glory. Ours is based upon an internal reality. We are children of God, and he hates you. And see, you... You're surrounding yourself with some carnal Christian friends that are telling you, oh, don't listen to that. Pastor John and these other, they're just legalists. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have fun. And they're playing this little song and the devil's going to get you two steps in his house and take that violin and beat your brains out with it. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not mocking. I've took a couple violin shots and had them imprinted on the side of my head. He hates you. He hates you. And you don't trust people that hate you. We're ignorant of his intentions. The Bible said he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And just because you don't know somebody's stealing from you doesn't mean they're not stealing from you. He has no other agenda. Whatever room you give him, whatever room you give an anti-God attitude, know this, the motive For the systematic entrance into your heart, those ideas, the motive is to destroy you, to steal your youth, to kill your physical body, to destroy your influence. You've not been in the office with me when I'm sitting with that person in their 40s and their face is just weathered. They're forgiven. They're forgiven. Children of God and that woman say, He stole my youth. Stole it. 
that daddy that chased a skirt in his office and left his babies and another man raised his babies. Now he's 40. He's repented. He's went back home. The children are in their 20s. They have forgiven him and they've patched together what they can. But he said he destroyed the best years of my life. Stole them. He led me astray. God, listen, it's okay. It's okay. You're a man. You know, God understands. God wants you to be happy. No, God wants you to be his. And there is much happiness. Let me hold my place because I lose it. I'm going to give you this being a daddy. It just helps you. You realize some stuff. I just, this way is so narrow living for the Lord and there's just no happiness in it. Let me tell you about my little, my little girls. Elisha's learning it, but right now he's just loud. He's happy. He's loud. He's sad. He's loud. He's sleeping. He's loud. He's eating. He's loud. Everything else is loud too. Uh, but my girls, Kelly can wake them up, wake, you know, get up in the morning. She'll cook them pancakes, make smiley faces out of them, do just what they want. Take them to school. Daddy, pick me up. We pick you up. We chick away. That's what they call chick play. We do chick away. We come home. We do nap. Go to the playground. Then we go from the playground to Publix. They like getting in the car with the two steering wheels. We get the free cookie. We do every single thing that they ask. And you'll get home five or six o'clock. You feel like you have did the great amazing race or whatever. You about... <laughs> Kelly sees me about seven o'clock. Sometimes I have one eye closed before the other one, you know. And she said, Daddy, can I have a ring pop? No, baby, not for sure. Oh, and just fall out in the floor. <laughs> Forgotten. It's almost, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reason with them. Grandma has to help me. She goes, John, they're three. They're three. I go, well, sit down. Let's, let's rehearse all I did. Did you forget all this? I a ring pop. I am taking pain medicine to take you to the playground. You understand me? <laughs> Did you forget that daddy got you chocolate milk and chick away? And do you forget all this? I'm a ring pop. I'm a ring pop. So the answer is, no, I don't remember that. Because children only think of now. And the devil knows that he can trick some of you Because you can't think past what you want right now. And you've forgotten all that God's done before you. And the devil knows that if he can offer you what you want when you want it. That he can destroy the next decade in your life. That's good. good. He beguiles us through others. Colossians 2. I say this in order that you would not let anyone mislead you. By plausible, persuasive, and attractive arguments and beguiling speech. Paul said, don't, don't let people who can talk good. Don't, don't let people with carnal reasoning. Well, Pastor John, isn't that what preachers do? No. Paul said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. But in the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God, that your faith would not rest in the reasonings of men, but in the power of God. The only thing I can offer you is scripture. 
The only thing I can offer you is God's spirit on scripture so you can be strong. And don't let anyone use words and other carnal Christians they yoke together and be, so that they can feel better about their own sinfulness. They give you license to live that way so that they're not the only one living in regret and shame and remorse. Don't let nobody trick you. It's like somebody trying to tell you, I'll tell you what car to get. Go buy that old Maverick. That was a good car. That's 50 years old. I drive a Maverick. I know. But we can be, be careful that your connection is not causing you to buy into stupid counsel. Or we don't say stupid. It's stupid counsel. Unwise. The Bible said in 2 Timothy that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving, deceiving and being deceived. He beguiles us. We're ignorant of his systematic approach to us. He has laid out plans through demonic forces for you. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You. He knows your lust. And we'll get to that in just a moment. We're ignorant of his persistent approach to our destruction. Can you imagine in the Garden of Eden if he'd have said, Eve, mother of all living things, would you like to try this apple and make you wise? God said not to eat it. He goes, oh, all right. Never mind. That snake would have come vertical back up. Eve, have you thought about apple butter? How about apple jam? How about apple Pop-Tarts? How about, you know, strained apples, pureed apples? He is going to be consistent with you. And sometimes because of his knowledge of of us, he knows that we will give him two or three no's and after that he'll have us. That's why we have to decide beforehand and in the secret place who we are so that our answer is reflexive. It's not thought. I've already decided. And this is a very, very small thing, but it's something that I decided years ago, over 30 years ago. If I'm not sick, I'm going to be in God's house. That's just me. I'm not deciding Saturday night how you feel. I'm tired every Saturday. How you feel? And if you ask yourself on Sunday, odds ain't good. So in the same way, we need to know how we're going to walk. So when the enemy comes, we see him coming in the garden and go, the answer is no. The person that does not have an answer before the garden usually falls in the garden. And finally, and number four, we're ignorant of his track record with those before us. I want you to pay careful attention to this, please. Everyone. Isaiah 5, 13. It's what God said about his people. They are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude are dried up with thirst. Listen. Therefore, hell has enlarged itself and has opened her mouth without measure And the glory of men and the multitude and the pomp and those that rejoice shall descend into it. Here's what God's saying. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many that go in go that way. Hell cannot take in the flow of people. And its mouth is literally stretching itself to take in the flow of those that have been led astray. I... And you are no better than any other person that's ever lived. 
We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. The difference is, the difference in us and them is one has fully accepted and leaned into and completely surrendered exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ, not just his death, burial, and resurrection, but his lordship. That's the difference. And we think we're ignorant that all these people that have gone before us, hell couldn't even take them in. There's so many. Sobering, isn't it? He beguiles us in our own individuality. James 1 says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. That means tempted to sin. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil and he himself tempts no one. But every person is tempted when he's drawn away, enticed, and baited by his own evil desire, his own lust, his own passions. Then the evil desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. Every person has their own lust. Every person has their own naivety. Every person thinks they can control their lust. And every person thinks they're the exception. I can handle this. I'm not like you. I'm I'm different. God will make an exception for me or I'll, I'll navigate the consequences of it. I'm different. I'm special. And all the myriads of people that came before you felt the same way. Deceived. With the onslaught now of the homosexual and lesbian, not just revolution, but um, mainstream endorsement. The church has to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Okay? So give me just a moment to address this again and let you have it in its proper perspective. The reason there's an attack on, or the attack of relativism, of course, if there is no standard, then we can't say one sin and one is not sin. Okay. When a homosexual or a lesbian, and I know several, I have been friends with, and it's kind of hard to walk as a preacher of righteousness and be a friend because eventually you can't walk together lest you agree. But with open faced and honesty, they say, I was born this way. Pastor, I was born this way. The Christian will go, no, you weren't. Wait, wait, wait. Somewhere between what they're saying and what you're saying is truth. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to try my best to show you what it is. What they're saying is, as long as I can remember, I have had a same-sex attraction. And it is genuine. It is real. I'm not creating it. And I feel most alive in that vein. Okay. We're all born in sin. All of us. Adam passed on his sin and every person since then is a sinner. We're a sinner by birth, not by actions. I'm not a sinner because I sinned. I sinned because I'm a sinner. Now my lust, and this is me being very open and honest with you. I remember as a little boy, little boy, like five or six years old, seeing a very pretty girl. I remember Green Acres Discount Grocery Store. I don't know if I ever shared this with y'all. It's just a little private memory. It's G-rated. Y'all good? It's G-rated. And I remember saying, now she's beautiful. I'm five, six. 
my lust was for the person of the same sex or the opposite sex, not same sex, opposite sex. The other person's lust was of the same sex. And if I were to tell you I was born that way, you would believe me. Now, God didn't design a homosexual, but the homosexual was born a sinner. God didn't design a fornicator, but the fornicator was born a a sinner. And my lust and their lust just show up differently. Do you see? We're each drawn away by our own lust and enticed. And when we practice that, if I practiced immorality outside of marriage or adultery or homosexuality or a love for money, uh, idolatry or greed or envy, those things, the destruction's the same. Well, now, Pastor John, one is an abomination. Yes, it is, because it's contrary to pattern. But the destruction part's the same. And so the, the person is not the enemy. The greatest enemy to the church is the carnal church. That's the greatest enemy, the one that lets no light shine bright enough that people will know how to come out. Not of the closet, but out of darkness into light. Into the glory of God's Son. That's the the harm. So he knows us. He knows my individuality. He's not going to tempt me in the areas of homosexuality. He's not going to tempt me in the areas you might be tempted. Somebody else said, man, I've always had self-control of my, my, my body, but I am a slave to what people think. I am so self-aware. It's like a torture. And so be not surprised that the devil will come to you in the area of your weaknesses and your strengths. Both. Why your strengths? Well, in your weaknesses, because you're weak. In your strengths, because you're unguarded. That's good. Can I tell y'all something funny? We got just, just oh, no, man, okay. Just for later study, and I don't make light at all of David's failure. David, King David, was the greatest geopolitical figure in the history of the world. There was nobody like him. The sweet psalmist of Israel, the warrior king, when he rode into battle with Goliath's sword on his horse, How do you swing that? I believe it was supernatural. I believe God gave him the power to use the swords of spoils of war. Anyway, David was amazing. And his struggles were in lust. So much so that towards the end of his life, when they weren't sure what was wrong with him, you'll find it. It's either Kings or Chronicles. Y'all look it up. It's almost tongue in cheek. They were trying to determine if he was going to make it or not. And one of them said, and it wasn't in a sexual way, that he was really cold. His body was cold. And they said, take a young, beautiful virgin and put the virgin in the bed with him to warm him. Why would someone suggest you put a young, beautiful virgin in the bed with him? Instead of like, say, an old, mean. Y'all think I'm crazy, but I'm asking you a question. (laughs) Why would someone that knew him, because they said, okay, this is, y'all, this is a fine line I'm walking here. I'm trying not to. So, so David's towards the end and they put this woman next to him in the bed. And if he doesn't respond, they said, David is dead. David ain't going to make it. (laughs) 
I, I'm asking you, I'm not, I don't know. But I know this, that those knew him best knew that that was an area of weakness that cost him children and family. His own wife was raped by his son on the roof of his house because of his lust. And that you think people know us, but the devil doesn't know us. That's what I want you to know. That's why you have to be on guard, guarding your heart and keep it with all diligence, knowing that he's coming in the area of your weakness and he'll come in the area of your strength so you won't be guarded. And finally, he beguiles us. So how do we successfully stand against him? How do we make sure that we are beguile proof? First of all, we can't think we're beguile proof in the pride, but we can be confident in our knowledge. And this is it. Rooted and grounded fully and exclusively in Christ. Not in church, in Christ. In Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. Fully and grounded, rooted exclusively. See, a lot of Christians are branches, everything visible. But roots are where your longevity is. It doesn't matter how people view you, it's how far do the roots go down. Being rooted and grounded in Him, the Bible said, in Jesus. How do we withstand the devil? Take unto yourself the whole armor of God. And having done all, stand. Stand with your loins girt about with truth. That means know the truth. Live in the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Stand in God's righteousness, not your own. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Have peace with God and the peace of God. It's hard to trick a person at rest. So be righteous. I'm in God's righteousness, not my own. There's no false sin of pride. I know the truth. And I am walking in peace with God and the peace of God. Above all, say above all. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So it means anything the devil throws at you, at you your belief system in God can shield it off. God ain't going to take care of you. I know better. I know the plans the Lord has for me, saith the Lord. I know these things. God's forgotten you. Oh no, God said, can a bride forget her uh, adornment? Can she forget her wedding gown? Absolutely not. That faith, my belief system about God, lets no room, no matter what he throws, no fiery dart. No room. Lisa, would you come here for me this morning? Do you mind? And take the helmet of salvation. That's the awareness of your salvation, guarding your mind. I am saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. No doubts. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. How do you successfully stand in Him? You are exclusively rooted in Him and wearing His armor. Everything about you, everything about you reflects something God's done for you. Everything about you, peace. Truth, salvation, power, strength, might. Be strong in the Lord. The devil is not all powerful. And he knows the difference between Christians that will put up a fight and those that won't put up a fight. And I don't, I, I don't think he is... I think he would rather have someone that'll roll over and someone will say, you want to wrestle this afternoon? For my babies, my wife, my family? There's only three battlefields of temptation. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
So Eve in the garden, stay with me just a moment more and I'll be done. Lust of the flesh, the fruit was good for food. Lust of the eyes, the fruit was pleasant, beautiful to behold. And the pride of life, the devil said, if you partake of the tree, you'll be wise. Jesus being tempted of the same devil. Oh, Eve in the garden, the first Adam, Jesus in the wilderness, the last Adam. 40 days without food and the devil said, turn these stones to bread. Jesus in the wilderness, the lust of the eyes, the devil takes him up to exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said, all these I'll give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. I'll give you this, lust of the eyes and then pride of life. The devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the holy city and said, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down because God will send his angels to take care of you. Three areas, the lust of the flesh, what our physical body wants, the lust of our eyes, what we want to add, and the pride of life. Who am I? Every temptation he brings to you will fall in one of those three categories. Okay, Lisa, just so I can hear them real soft. I want somebody just name one sin out loud. Y'all, I can't hear you. Okay, lust. Okay, lust of the flesh. Overeating, lust of the flesh. Greed, pride of life. Possessions, lust of the eyes. Anger, pride of life. You made me mad and I'm the focus of the world. There's only three areas. And how you guard yourself is you understand that whatever's coming against me, I can put it in one area and respond the way Jesus did. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by sex alone. Man does not live by satisfying his desires alone. God will satisfy them, but it's not the goal of life. And when the devil sees that you know his tactics and tricks, he's only got three fields. Lust of the flesh, flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Don't you take that. Who are you? You're better than that. Oh, you're trying to get me to pride. Oh, they got a new house. You, you ought to be dissatisfied. Y'all don't have a new house. Oh, you're, you're trying to get... Oh, you want me to think that I'm defined by where I live instead of where I'm going to live. Oh, okay, okay. Pride of life. Finally, we, sit, we stand successfully as we're in fellowship and accountability with those of like precious faith. The best thing, one of the best things, short list for you in this last hour is to surround yourself with people of like precious faith. And if you got three friends, Felicia, they'll tell you the truth. Tell you the truth. You are rich. Because everybody's so lonely, they're afraid to offend somebody and not tell them the truth. And they'll let their friend play with the devil so that they can have somebody to go to lunch with. I'm glad for the people that go, you know, I love you and I'd do anything for you. I had a lady tell me, a friend of mine, several years ago, she goes, I see pride in your heart. And I looked at her and I said, do you really? She said, yep. And I said, thank you. I went home and sought the Lord. Sure enough, I didn't see it, but she had my back. You see? So the knowledge of God's word, exclusively rooted and grounded in him, those of like precious faith, and the final one is confidence. Confidence. So when he comes to you in the garden, your garden, when he comes to you 
with the spirit of this world when the television show wouldn't you look good in this car I wouldn't look good paying 900 a month for the next 12 years no when he comes you see him as he is oh you come dressed as that but you're just trying to kill me and your confidence is that God's spirit in you is greater than anything that's in the world the Bible says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. It's an evident token to them of, your, of their perdition. Not afraid. I'm not arrogant that I can't be tricked, but I'm not afraid. No fear. And when he comes to do, to deceive, you answer with the word. It is written. It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written. Now some of you, by odds... You're in deception right now. Some is knowingly and some is unknowingly. Some is willful and some is unwillful. So what I do? Walk in the light. You come into the light of God's presence and you'll see everything clear. That's why the world stays away from their light because the deeds are evil. But the righteous come into it so they can see themselves. Don't be afraid of him. Don't be scared that he's going to trick you. Just, be, just know that that's his motive. The believer that will not compromise cannot be deceived. You can write that down. That's it. The believer that will not compromise. Well, what if I did? Then repent and go back to a place of uncompromise. You can't be deceived. Drew, are you going to need to give instructions in a moment? Just come on up here. You got a mic? Okay, come on up here just a moment. I'm going to close in prayer first. Can we do this? Just in, I, I always like to have, their, have a response physically, and here's why. Well, Pastor John, it makes us uncomfortable. Exactly. It tells your flesh, you're not God, you don't pick. I believe, Lord, that you're talking to me about a specific area, and I'm going to make some changes. That's just between you and God. You just stand. I, I, I'm tricked. I'm in, a, I'm in a wrong pathway. I'm in a wrong place. Just stand. That's all. Thank you, Lord. Now would the rest of you stand with us and join them as we pray? And then we'll wait for just a moment for Drew to give us instructions about the cake auction. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us divine sight, that you would give us the capacity to see not only clearly around us, but inside of us. Let us not be tricked in the garden of your pleasure in our life. Help us to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, knowing our adversary is walking around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let no one in our home be devoured, O Lord. Help us be on guard, watching with all diligence, sober in this drunken world, O Lord. Keep our eyes upon you, God, and skyward. For your rede- our redemption draweth nigh. You're right at the door. I believe it, Lord. Help us to be w- ready and counted worthy to escape the great and terrible day of your wrath. And thank you, O oh Lord, that you give us absolute victory over the enemy. Now unto him that's able to keep us from falling and preserve us spotless unto the day of his return. And God's people said, Amen. Would you give the Lord a shout this morning? Yeah.